if we could review for just a moment, what we did was we actually had one of the architects in our church. Uh, and um, if you define the word architect, you can see it on the screen. It's a person who designs, plans, and oversees the building of something. And so we've got the blueprints up here. And what an architect does is they sit there and they draw out all the blueprints. And they start it from, from nothing on a scratch sheet of paper or on their computer screen. And all the way till they get it to a model size until it's totally built out. And so we connected that to Father God. And see, God is the original architect. He is the original designer. And we started in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I appreciate all the other teachings about where we came from. But at the end of the day, I want to know where the two little substances that bumped into each other, the created us, came from. And I would say, even if you believe that, you've got to believe even God brought something forth. And so our God created us. And if he created us and designed us, that means he has a plan in mind. Somebody say amen. So he has a plan for you. He has a blueprint for your life. What he destined, what he determined, what he wanted for your life. You were created not by accident. Doesn't matter if your mom got raped. Doesn't matter if they, you were an unplanned pregnancy, God put you alive at this moment, at this time. You could have been born in the 1800s, you're born now. You live now. You exist on the planet here. You could be in Africa, you can be in Asia, but you're here at this moment, all a part of God's intelligent design. So if he designed you and he plans you, then that means he has a role for you. Somebody say amen. And so with that in mind, we began to study what is the plan that God has for us. And we started with Jeremiah 29 11, where he actually says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. If you look on the screen, they're plans to what? To prosper you. Plans and not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you want a hope and a future? Come on, say amen. My life is not going to end in destruction. Come on now. He's given me a hope and a future, and he's going to prosper us. And prosperity doesn't mean money. It means every part of life. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I've seen rich people that are miserable because they're not prosperous in their soul. Their mind, will, and emotions are turned over to the enemy, and as a result, they have no peace, no joy. And as a result, they live a miserable life, even though they have every bit of financial money, that they could uh, financial resources to do whatever they want, but they're still miserable. He wants to prosper us. That's his plan. And so we studied that, that God has a plan for that. You can go back and listen to that. That's on our website. You can hear that message in its entirety on our website. In the second week, which was last week, we said, well, well, if God has such a great plan for all of us, then why is there sickness in the world? Why do little babies die of cancer? And why are people raped and molested and mistreated? How can the living God who planned out everything write that into his plans? Explain that one to me. And then with that, we went to John chapter 10 and verse 10, where it says the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we lined out for you that bad things happen because of three reasons. Number one, there is a Satan, a Lucifer, a devil who hates you and is trying to destroy your life. In fact, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. SKD. You got a bunch of SKDs in your life and you need to run him out in Jesus' name. And we also said that the second thing, that the reason why bad things happen to good people, it's because we live in a fallen state. Earth has a fallen state. When Adam and Eve was created in the garden, everything was perfect. It was so perfect, they didn't even know they were naked. Come on, somebody. It was beautiful and wonderful, and it was not perverted. Come on, somebody. They walked around. I think about that. You ever tried to walk through the woods naked? Don't do it, please. I love you. Don't do that. I don't want to see you on the nightly news. But imagine walking through the... Imagine walking through, through the woods naked. What you, you stepping on fire. They didn't have any of that. It was perfect. It was perfection. They, rep, they, re, uh, 
They, they did not respond properly when Satan came tempting and they gave in to sin. And as a result, sin came into the world. And now all of a sudden we have thorns and thistles and things aren't working. Why? Because all of the state of sin began to affect the world in which we live. And as a result, bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. It's because of the state of the world because of sin back in the garden. It created a broken world. Come on, somebody. And the third reason that we have bad things happening to good people and why cancer happens and, and, and people get molested and things, because people make choices that are the wrong choices. We see that through Scripture, and that's what we talked about last week. So, oh, Pastor, I've made some bad choices. I know, and we studied that too. Because in God, the great designer, the Bible says he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. So when you're in a situation that you got yourself into, God's sitting there, and he's designing a way out for you. And he's saying, I got a plan. I got a way to get you out of it. If you and I will just make the right choice and say, Lord, I repent. Let me see your plan because I want out of this situation. When you and I do that, he makes a way of escape, the Bible says. These are are the plans of the living God. But there's a devil who has a plan for you as well to destroy you, to steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you need to just start, you just need to start rebuking the SKDs in your life and say, you're not going to steal my joy. You're not going to kill my kids. You're not going to destroy my heritage. You're not going to take from me my, my health in Jesus' name. And I'll run you out of my, get out of my life in Jesus' name. And then today, as we close out, we're going to look what else God put in his plans. So he planned our life out. He's got the blueprints for it, and then he gives it to us, and then we go about, and we take those blueprints, and we go about building our lives. And if we'll take the Lord's blueprints, and we'll build our lives according to what he designed and what he had planned, then our lives will be full of the presence of the living God, and life will have sense, and it'll have meaning. Why? Because the best person, the best person to tell you what you should be doing with your life is the person who gave you life. The best person to tell you how this building is going to function is the person who designed the building. You were designed by the living God, and he and he alone knows how you should exist and why you exist and what you are to accomplish through your existence. And so if you and I will take his blueprints and begin to apply it to our life. Now, at the same time, we taught you last week that the enemy's got a set of blueprints, too, trying to woo you over and to get you to begin to build your life more on his plans. And we see that in the scriptures, it calls it the world and the world system. And it says, what fellowship does light have with darkness or what fellowship do we have with the world and the world system and its plans and its ideologies so as we jump into it today i want to make the point of two big pieces and i want you to grasp these two big pieces and we're going to learn two big points biblical truths number one god has designed our lives to have meaningful friendships He's put it in his designs. It's not good that man be alone. It's not good. I'm not going to send Jesus to the earth and he's just going to stand on the hillside and preach to everybody. He's actually going to have 12 friends. Actually, more than that, but 12 he's going to give himself to. And at some point, he's going to look at him and say, I don't call you servants. I'll call you friends. God wants each and every one of us to have friends that have lasting effects on our lives and the, our children's life and our grandchildren's life. The second big biblical truth that we're going to study today is that all all of our lives culminate as believers, culminate to build God's kingdom. 
That's why we're together. You didn't come to church here today so you can hear good messages. You're not signing up to be a member of a church so that you can be in the choir. You signed up to be a part of the body of Christ so we could push the kingdom business forward and push back the gates of hell. And that whatever your role is in building God's kingdom and building his church, whether it's putting doorknobs on the doors or whether it's caulking the windows or whether it's putting the sheetrock up, that each and every one of us have a part to play in this church. God sent you here for this moment, for this time, and there's a reason for it, and he's going to use you to do something great. Those are the two big truths. So with that being said, let's jump into the first one. God has designed our lives to have meaningful friendships. Let's start first in Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Do you have a friend that loves you at all times? That's there for you when no one else is there for you? That loves you in spite of the fact that you got a bad attitude? Now listen, I don't get bad attitudes. Jamie does. <laughs> but I am so grateful for my friends who love me when we're going through hardship. As, as, and when I'm going through that little muck and that little, that little attitude that, 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 I, that, I don't, that the devil tries to bring on me. I'm so grateful for friends who stay with me and stick it out with me, even though I haven't made all the right choices along the days. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says it like this, and there a brother is born for adversity. Look at that in verse 17. A brother is born for, born for adversity. It's not talking about a, a, a relative. It's not talking about a blood relative. When it uses the word brother, it's talking about the brotherhood. There's that person, that sisterhood, there's that gal who God gave her life to be there with you when you go through adversity. Listen to this. So you got to think about it like this. So we've got Adam McCain's blueprints, and we've got Sean Bates' blueprints, and we've got Chris Hart's blueprints. And so what God did was God was designing my life out and said he'll, he'll grow up in Baton Rouge, and then I'll draw him out to come over to Texas. And then when I get him over to Texas, he's going to connect with this person over here and this person over there. And then he took Chris Hart, and he said, okay, he's going to live over here in Arlington, and he's going to be a part of this church, and then he's going to go off to Florida, and he's going to come back. And then I'm going to have him connect with Adam McCain right here at this juncture, and then I'm going to take Sean, and I'm going to take him out of that place he's from up north in a place called Indiana that no one ever wants to go to, and I'm going to bring him down to Bible school, and then I'm going to connect him as he's in Bible school over here with Pastor Adam McCain and Chris Hart, and their lives are going to intersect so that they can be friends. Come on, somebody. So he's been working friendships into your life, but if you're not careful, you don't even know it. And then what he says is, I'm actually going to give this one life. As I design his, broke the chair, as I design his life out, I'm going to make him alive because he, Adam's going to need him. When Adam's going through hell, I'm going to make him alive to a, a, interact with him during that moment to walk him through the hell on earth that he's going through. There's a brother born for adversity. There is someone who's alive that's going to be there for you when you're going through hell on earth. The problem is, do you even know it and are you even friends with them? You, on the other side of that, part of your existence, part of the blueprints for your life is there's going to be someone that only you can walk them through that. Only you can stand beside them and say, don't quit. Don't quit. I'm telling you. And they won't listen to anybody else, but they'll listen to you because you were born for them as they go through adversity. That's what it says. There's a friend that was born adversity. Listen, God wrote into his blueprints that each and every one of us would have relationships like this. Friendships like this. 
I tell the story all the time. My grandmother died, and nobody was at her funeral. 100 people came. 90 of them were my friends from my church who came to support me because my grandmother died. The other 10 were her brothers and sisters that were still alive. No one came. My grandmother got bitter at church and life when her husband left her for another woman. She quit church. She quit God. She quit friends. She quit everything. And she said, I'm going to show the world that no one's going to hurt me again. And she walled up her life. She walled up her house. She grew up every plant that she could where you couldn't even see her front door. A sign. No one's going to hurt me again. And the last two years of her life, after years witnessing to her, crying out to her, come on, Grandma, come on, serve God. She finally gave her life to Jesus. And she was too late by that point. She had lost all the valuable opportunities to have friends. And when she died, she was a lonely little old woman. When you die, will there be people standing there and say, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be a Christian today. It wasn't for her. And what she said and what she did... And she would call me once a month and say, how you doing? He would text me throughout the week and say, look, don't go back to that old lifestyle. And he had me in a small group. I went over to their house and I cut their grass and he took me to get a steak. First person ever take me to get a steak. Who is that in your life and do you even have them? There's a friend that was born for adversity. Look at this other piece that the proverb says. You still with me? Say yes. How about we just skip straight to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 10. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Oh, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Pity the man. Pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Who do you have that'll help you? I bet you got a lot that'll stomp on you while you're down. I bet you got a lot to keep tripping you up and helping you fall down. But who do you have that'll help you up? So I got this one person. My wife will help me. Yeah, she's tired of helping you. That's the problem. You ain't got nobody else in your life. You're an island unto yourself and can't understand why you're fighting off depression, why you don't want to go on with life, why you keep messing around with other women. I'll tell you why. It's because you, ha- you don't have any friends to help you. The ministry is the loneliest place. Pastors are the worst at having friends. Years ago, my first youth pastor had left our state, went to Colorado, planted a church. The church grew and grew and grew. He became a very famous pastor in the United States, had a very, very big mega church, tens of thousands of people, had a big prayer movement that he oversaw. He even became the president of the Evangelical Association, great man of God, highly respected. And then he was exposed for having homosexual relationships, exposed, was all over the news, humiliated, destroyed, taken out of the pulpit, lost his job, lost his sheepfold, if you will, lost his congregation had no friends. So men came in that didn't know him that well, that didn't know his heart, didn't know his struggles, came in and tried to correct the problems, tried to minister to him. First six months, they put him with one guy. He got tired of that after a little bit, went to another pastor. And that pastor tried to restore him after about a year or so and went to another one and had no friends to pick him up. And today, he's trying to restart his church and trying to re-get going. And they put him on television here and there to be a laughing stock. Friend, listen to me. Pity the man who has no one to help him up. Pity the man who has no friends that know your heart, that are there protecting you, who don't just pick you up when you fall, but keep you from falling. Hey, watch that. Uh, that one almost got me last year. You don't, don't step on that. Watch that one. That's a trap by the enemy. Come on, let's get it. Come on, come around it with me. Yeah, there you go. Come on, fist bump. Let's roll. Pity the man who has no relationship like that. Pity the woman who all she has is her kids, and all she has is her grandkids. Pity the woman who has no friendships that can look deep into your eyes and say, I love you, and I'm here for you. 
The reason why we have such a stir in homosexuality is because we've lost what real love looks like. If they ever ask me, do you love men? Yes, I love a lot of men. I love my dad. I love my children, my son. I love my sons in the faith, and I love my friends that are men. That don't mean I want to have sex with them. But I love them with all my heart. And because that element is missing, we're trying to define love as sex. And so that's where the confusion comes into play. There's no camaraderie anymore. There's no fighting for one another anymore. There's no standing beside someone and saying, you will not. You'll not say that about him. You're going to have to knock me out because I'm going to fight you to the death. There's none of that anymore. And friends, it's time for us to have it again. It's time for you and I to grow old and, 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 and enjoy life with our friends. To have people that love God the way we love God. Have people that are watching out for us and saying, hey, listen, man, you can't talk to your wife like that, man. That's rude, bro. Hey, do you, do you realize your son is like a terror in the kids' ministry? Do you realize that? Well, that's his mama's fault. No, that's your fault. You're the head of the family. Come on, let's tighten this thing up. Let's do this. I'll show you how to Let's take him out camping. We'll whoop him when mom's not around. We'll get it done. That's just joking in case anybody's listening to this live on some podcast and shows up on international television. Look at Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. It says, a man with many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, a lot of times people say, I got lots of friends, my coworkers and my boss and this one, that one, and that one. Look, that's just companions. The difference in companions and friends is companions are people you have to do life with. Friends are people you get to do life with. You get to do life with them. That's why we always walk around here saying, hey, let's do life together. Let's do life together. I don't want you just to come to church and hear a good message. That's a waste of my life and yours. If that's the case, let's listen to Bishop Jake. He's a lot better than me. Come on, let's just all, let's just all sit there. No, we're doing life together. We're helping one another. We're saying, hey, come on, let's get up from that. You don't have to be, hey, why you got that attitude like that? Come on, well, you don't have to have that. Let's pray together. Come on, let's strengthen one another. Let's have real friends in real church life that actually accomplishes something, and we all start looking a little bit more like Jesus, smelling a little bit more like Jesus, talking a little bit more like Jesus. Why? Because we have iron sharpening iron all around us because we have real friends. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Say yes. yes. David and Jonathan were these kind of friends. For sake of time, I'm just going to have to quote 1 Samuel chapter 18. So David is this young man. Saul is the king of Israel. God rejects Saul because of his rebellion, and he goes to this little 14-year-old and, and literally has the prophet lay hands on this kid and call him the next, the next king. A couple years later, months later, whatever transpires, there's a giant named Goliath who represents the Philistines and the whole Philistine army standing out there looking at the Israeli army and they've drawn battle lines and they're standing across the valley from each other ready to attack and the Philistines get a bright idea. Let's send our great giant out there and this 10-foot dude, can you imagine basketball height, walks out and says, you sissies, send me a man who will fight me. I will rip off his head and spit down his neck, rip off his arm and beat him with the bloody end. And whoever wins, the others will serve the victor. And all the Israelis are like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And all of a sudden, here comes this 16-year-old. He's walking up. As he hears that, he says, what? What? Y'all hear that dude cursing God? Oh, uh uh-uh, no, sir. I'm going to go all Compton on you because this thing ain't going to go down like this. See, David grew up in the hood. He was a shepherd. He had the worst job on the planet. 
Jonathan, Saul's son, grew up in opulence. He grew up, look, he didn't get a car at 16. He got a car at 12, but had to wait till he's 16 to drive it. Because he had drivers. He, he listened. He, people ran the water for him to get in the bathtub and make sure it was warm enough for him. Listen, this man has never known calluses on his hands. And all of a sudden, this 16-year-old goes, no, sir, I'll not have it. And he goes to the king. And he says, let me at him, king. Saul's like, well, all right, go ahead, dude. Do what you got. He put my arm on. No, nah, that don't work. I can't do that. I got to do it my style. Cut, cut, cut. No, wait, sorry, like this. <laughs> So I got to do it. And get out there. You come against me with a soreness. I come again. In the name of the Lord. And that little, that little rock goes, woo, and nails that dude right in the temple. Knocks him out cold. It doesn't kill him. Knocks him out cold. And then David's got the guts and the courage. He goes running. And he grabs the sword and he starts hacking his head off. He's 10 foot tall. What do you think his neck looked like? That neck was like that, dude. He had no little peon neck like ours. He's 10 foot tall. And he finally gets it hacked off. And he, ran, he raises his head. And all the fools are like, and they take off running. Jonathan's looking at him and goes, that's my friend right there. That's the, I want that dude to be my friend. I want somebody who ain't scared to be my friend. I don't care if he's poor. I want that in my life. Come on, somebody. Some of you can't figure out, why has that person got so many friends? Because they're so courageous for God. And so he says, I want him to be my friend. They become friends that day, the Bible says. Jonathan loved him in his heart. It wasn't a homosexual love. It was, that's a man that I want to be like. I want to be, that's my buddy right there. And the moment comes, God writes it into the blueprints, okay? Then David's going to do this. He's going to marry Saul's daughter. That'll be great. And then Saul will put him over the king, the, the, the armies. That'll be great. And, but then Saul's going to get jealous because you know how he is, but we've got to try to make a way out of that. And I will put Jonathan. Jonathan's piece will come into play with that and help him keep him alive because I've got to have David become king one day and bring the kingdom back together because he's the man after my own heart. I'm going to have to go ahead and get rid of He's going to have to die if he doesn't change. And if he doesn't change, that's going to kill him too. But because Oh, my goodness. But anyway, the king... The, the kingdom will stay in place. All right, go. And so Jonathan looks at him and says, you're my man. And Saul comes to the place where he's jealous of David and wants to kill David. And he's about to do a sneak attack on David. Jonathan gets wind of it and he goes to his friend opposing his own father and says, you need to run for your life. Months later into the hole, running for his life. He's hid out in a cave with a couple of his buddies, and they're in the back of the cave because here comes Saul and his army looking for him. They can't find him. It's before GPS, and he's sitting in the back of this cave in the dark, and, uh, and they're just waiting for him. And all of a sudden, Saul says, I'm going to go in the cave and going to relieve myself. He goes in there. He's sitting there, pulls up his robe. He's going to the bathroom, and David's men are standing there, and they say, it's God. Slit his throat. It's God's deliverance for you. And David said, I will not because of Jonathan. Listen to me. He took up for me and stood for me when no one believed in me. And I'm going to stand up for his daddy even though his daddy is wrong. That's what friends do. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that will stand up for you and keep you alive when everyone's trying to kill you? This is the type of friend that Jonathan and David were to one another. And the day that Jonathan and Saul died together on the battlefield, the man who comes 
and tell us the story of how he helped them finish off their life. They were greatly wounded, mortally wounded in battle, having their last breaths of life. And instead of letting the Philistines cut their heads off, one of the Israeli, you know, uh, who had been recruited from another tribe, a group of people, sits there and he kills, the, kills them. And David says, you had the boldness to touch the anointing one of God, kill him right now. And he kills the man for killing Saul. Listen to me. Do you have anybody that will honor your family and protect your family if something happens to you? What kind of friends do you have? Do you have any? God wrote it into the blueprints. And what's happening is your life looks like this, and it's going this way, and this one's going this way, and he's putting them all together, and he's bringing them in, and, and all of a sudden you don't even realize that you've got someone sitting a few rows over from you who could be a good friend of yours, but you've never taken the time to get to know them. You don't even realize the person sitting in the first service that you walk past, and you say, man, that's, that's cool looking dude. You don't even realize that God may have put them in the blueprint interacting with you to be the very friend that sticks closer than a brother, that it's there, that was born for you as you walk through adversity, that'll be there for you when no one else is there for you. Friend, listen to me. He put in the plans for you and I to have friends that would be there for us. It's part of his plan. He would that man not be alone. He looked at Adam and said, you can't be alone, so I'm going to create for you a woman because she's going to be stronger than you, you big sissy, and it's going to help you. Come on, women, you ought to say amen to that because that's the truth. You don't get a helpmate if they're weaker than you. He's somebody to help me. Say, what about that verse about the weaker vessel? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about fine china versus uh, Tupperware. (laughs) It's not talking about strength. (laughs) It's talking about daintiness. Come on, you can be an awesome woman of God, full of power, but still be dainty. Come on now, praise the Lord. I will cut you for my man. (laughs) Come on, somebody. (laughs) Proverbs 27, verse 6. Says wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You have anybody that'll tell you the truth? Hey, bro, you're just being rude to your wife. You need to change. Hey, bro, you 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 working too much. I love you, but you using work as an excuse. Hey, sweetheart, you roll your eyes every time he talks. That's why he don't want to talk. You have any friends like that? Because enemies will kiss you. Oh, you're so awesome. You're the greatest. Our real friends say, you're the greatest. Now, look, you need to stop doing that, okay? You know, I'm so grateful for my friends. I'm so grateful for them. Many of them are on staff here at the church. You know, as a volunteer staff, they don't get paid anything. I was on the phone yesterday with Pastor Jack Clark. He called me. He said, listen, I'm going to miss church tomorrow. I'm like, why? No, I'm just kidding. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, listen, there's this deal. I'm trying to buy my wife a minivan. I'm going to give in. And, I'm gonna buy, and, I, and, and I found one online at this dealership four hours, five hours away. But I got to go right now before they sell it. Because it's a 2012 Nissan uh, and, and a minivan. What is that? The Quest. He said, fully loaded for 16000 I said, that's not true. Not for 16000 he said, yeah, I saw one at CarMax yesterday for 26000 I was like, yeah, that's, that's a misprint or something. He goes, no, I'm telling you. I'm like, dude, that, I'm telling you, it's stolen then. You better be sure it's a real dealership. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Might be, they might be working for the Mexican mafia or something down there, bro. <laughs> it's, it's, close, you know, it's close down there in, in you know, 
down by uh, Beaumont or something. I was like, bro, be careful now. He's like, all right. So he calls me an hour after being at the dealership. You're not going to believe this. I was like, what? He goes, they made a mistake. It's a misprint. They were trying to sell it for 28000 And I was like, uh, what did you do? He said, I told him, I'm sorry. But you said 16000 That's what I'm buying it for. I was like, and what did they do? He said, well, they tried, but I wouldn't let them. I said, do you have a minivan? He goes, I'm driving it right now. Ah! See, that's the conversation that friends have. Because I was praying for that. Two days before, he came in my office like, man, this life is so tough. You got this problem, this problem. I said, come on, man of God. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. And we started praying, and he's just sitting there. I'm like, did you need to pray with me? I'm helping you. And he's just sitting there. I'm like, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, pray, let's go. And I'm praying, and all of a sudden, man, the Spirit of the Lord came in the room, and I start worshiping, hallelujah, hallelujah. I look over at him, he's got his hands up, hallelujah, grace of God. That's what friends do. Friends do. You need some friends in your life. I'm sad for you. Oh, but pity the man, the word says, that has no one to be there with him. You know, everybody wants to be served, but nobody wants to start serving. Everybody wants to be noticed, but nobody wants to start noticing others. Everybody wants to be encouraged. Encourage me, encourage me, encourage me. How about you pause your life and encourage others? And as you encourage others, you'll become their friend and they'll start encouraging you. This is how it works. Everybody wants to be respected. How about we start respecting others? I want to give you a couple thoughts. Just three quick thoughts, and we've got to keep moving. Developing godly friendships. Let me give you a couple thoughts on how to do that. Number one, understand that friendships are costly. They cost a lot. A lot of time. It takes a lot of time to have good friends. You've got to return their phone call. you got to. Good, you can't be best friends with everybody. You can't be the closest of friends with everybody. But stop making excuses why you don't have any. When, when some are reaching back out to you, you've got to respond. It takes some time. It, take, it takes a lot of grace and understanding. It takes a lot of forgiveness. It costs you a lot. You've got to keep forgiving and keep forgiving. The people that are closest to me, I think about, uh, you know, the hearts and how close they are to the McCain's. And, and I think about uh, the, the Carsages. They've been with me 12, 13 years. Ken and I have duked it out over the phone. We're, I thought, listen, if you say anything else, I'm going to reach to this phone and, and I'm, gonna jack, I'm just going to punch you in the face through the phone. I mean, Ken, what I love about Ken, Ken don't say a whole lot. He don't say a lot. He's our cell pastor. He don't say a whole lot. But when he says something, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It's deep. Ken, Ken doesn't say a whole lot. But I know this, that Ken will die for me. And I'll die for him. And there have been times that, that he, took, he stood up for me when people were mad at me at the church because I had to discipline them. And they were trying to stir up strife. And Ken stood for me. He's my friend. And I'm his. And we're going to keep doing life together. And we're going to get mad at each other. And we're going to forgive each other. And that's what friends do. And that's why I'll still be preaching when everybody else is falling into sin. Because i got friends around me. As iron sharpeneth iron, so one man sharpens another. i got folks watching out for me and I'm watching out for them. Do you have anybody doing that? Do you have that in your life? Understand that friendships are costly. Here's the second way you go about developing godly friendships. you got to be real. Some of you have been raised in an environment where you got two different Facebook pages. You got your public one so you can get a job 
and then you got your other one. I love you. I love you. I love you so much. But you know what you're creating? What you're teaching your kids? That you can be two different people. I've had preachers tell me, no, that's who I am at church. But I get to be who I want to be when I'm not at the church. Listen to me. Or that's my job to be a minister. I'm not on the clock right now. Listen, what you see is what you get. I mean, I'm as brutally, ask my kids. I'm as brutally honest with you as I am with my kids. There's not two different people there. Be real. Just be real. You had a bad day. No one likes you today because you're mean today. It's just a day. It's that day. Be real. Be honest. Dude, I just don't like that. I don't like you. I don't want to be married today, but I'm going to stick it out. It'll be better tomorrow. I promise. Let me go get some sleep. You know, I've learned that being real is being like Christ. There's no pretension in Christ. You didn't pretend to be something and then actually he was something. Be real. Be real with your feelings, your emotions. Be real. Hey, man, that hurt my feelings. Now, don't be a sissy. Well, be real. Man, listen, I, I'm struggling because, you know, I feel like, you know, we made that commitment and you didn't show up for it. And I don't know, tick me off. Be real. That's how you be friends. I know. I wish people would have taught us this in school. They ought to have a class on how to be friends. And last and final piece on how to develop godly friendship is be trustworthy. If you say you're going to be there at 7, be there at 7, not at 8. If you said, if you said that, you know, that you were going to take that responsibility and, and make that happen for us, then do it. Be trustworthy. Because what happens is the moment I start realizing that you, you know, if, if, the moment I start thinking that you got something else going on the side that creates insecurity in me. And now I don't know if I can trust you. And now it brings this divide in between us. Be trustworthy. Be real when you blow it. I blew it. You trusted me with this, and I didn't do well with that, and I want to apologize. I want you to give me another chance. I do that with Jamie all the time. All the time. Like, for example, when we first got married, I told him, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to cook. <laughs> I knew good and well I wasn't going to learn to cook. <laughs> I didn't want to learn to cook, because if you learn to cook, you're responsible for it. <laughs> so now she's like, will you? Maybe I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that I did not learn how to do that. And sometimes I blow it. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I didn't shut the door and the cats went in that room and tee on the carpet in that room. I'm sorry, I blew it. And just own it. And so saying you're sorry when you blow it and admitting that you're wrong is the greatest way to have friends because it creates trust now. Because we see it, we know it. And the fact that you won't admit it says that there's something broken about you and that you're dishonest. So you can ask the guys who are closest to me. I'll do it all. Man, I'm so sorry. Man, I, I, that's not, I, that was my fault. That's my bad. My bad. Last and final piece. We had two pieces today. I wanted you to know, first and foremost, that God wrote into the blueprints that we're to have friends. But he also wrote into the blueprints, each and every one of us, that our lives culminate to build his church. So every part of this, let's pretend this is the church of God, and it's illustrating. We're not talking about a building with lights and air-conditioned units and walls and driveways. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about the building of God. We're talking about the kingdom business, why God came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. And the reason that is, look at Ephesians 4, 16. It says, from him... Ephesians 4.16 on the screen. From him, the whole body 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, let me translate a little bit. From him, from Jesus, the whole body of Christ, all the believers, joined and held together, connected to each other by every supporting ligament. In other words, we got to support each other. we got to walk in faith and love and forgiveness with each other. Build itself up through love. And, as, and each part, that means Bill and Tom and Susan and Karen, each one of them doing their part to build the kingdom of God amongst the believers. So every one of us have a role and a part. This isn't a church where we just are supposed to come and sit and listen. We're supposed to have a part to play so that the vision and purposes of God can go forth. He has an end result. He has a goal in mind for church on the hill. If you're a visitor, you don't even have to listen to this part. But those of us that say this is our church, he has a plan for us. He brought us all together. Our blueprint led us this way and brought me this way. I was with one of our leaders the other day, and he was complaining. He said, you know, there's been a couple times, man, I thought about leaving this church. I said, listen, I want you to know there have been more than a couple times that I thought about leaving this church. <laughs> Somehow he thought this was my church. I said, this ain't my church. This is the Lord's church. I'm an attendant in the house of the Lord. Yes, I'm the quarterback, but that don't mean nothing. We can get a new quarterback. The kingdom business must go forth. This is his church, his body, his responsibility. I'm just doing my best to be obedient. And he got a revelation. Oh, you can see it in his face. Wow, this is our church. That's right. It's ours. Well, if it's ours, can I have the tithe? No, shut up, stupid. And he said... And so each and every one of us have a part to play to build the kingdom business. And if you realize that, then you understand, I'm not just going to be uh, in a service. I'm not looking just to, to, to start a ministry or get ministry to me. I'm going to give my part in this whole thing. Everything that's in my DNA, everything that God created me with and the things that I have, I can apply it to this section right here because I am a doorknob guy. I put doorknobs on things. Hallelujah. So I'm going to go about doing the doorknobs. Well, you know what? She is a pool designer. So she's back there designing and making the pool. And it all comes together to build the church, to build his expression here in Cedar Hill for Duncanville and DeSoto and the surrounding cities of Arlington and Grand Prairie. He's building an expression so that others who don't know Christ can come and say, I want to live in that. I want to be in that. I want to be a part of that. That's real. I want that. And you're a part of that expression. You're a part of that design. Your pieces inside of you. The blueprints and plans for your life make this a part and makes this piece happen. And if it doesn't, if you're not activated in your pieces and your calling and your plan, then what happens is we don't get it built. So what does it look like? It looks terrible. Because there's no one there to love the ex-homosexual. Because they've never been a homosexual, so how do they even understand it? There's no one there to understand the little girl who gets dropped off by the stepdad who don't care fly and flip if she lives or die, he's aggravated, he has to drop her off at youth group. Doesn't even know. See, we're not talking about putting carpet and, 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 and sheetrock. We're talking about changing lives. That's what the church's business is about. These are just tools to get about the business. But this is not the business. The business is that lives get changed. That everyone on this planet, when we die, that we can say that we made it hard to go to hell from DFW. That no one had an excuse. That I loved you the best I could. I drug you to services. I drug you to small group. I reached out. I loved you. We, we had an environment and a community that looked like heaven. You had no excuse. And so God can stand there and say, what she said is true. I had put it in her design. And she loved you and you didn't receive it. So I'm sorry you've destined yourself to 
to the lake of fire are, well done, good and faithful servant. And they stand there on that day and they say, if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for him, no one else in that whole church understood me. He understood me. And he'd let me come over to his house. And we'd have little small group meetings in his living room. And we'd just talk. There wasn't no Bible study. we just talk. we talk about God. And I had all these questions. He didn't even have answers. But he loved me. And he stood there with me. And he would send me, he'd send me Facebook posts of uh, a Proverbs that taught me wisdom. And, and, and he came over to my house for my little girl's birthday party when my own real dad didn't even show up for it because he was mad at my mom. And, and all those pieces were there. You and I being used to push forth the kingdom. All of it is cultivated. He, he's culminating all of it, all of our purposes, all of our plans. Cult- he's brought it all, culminating all to this moment. You're not here by accident. I grew up in Louisiana. What am I doing here? I, what, what is Sean doing here? He's from Indiana. What are you doing? God brought it all together. So I came from this other church. We did things different. I know God brought that experience into here. And he brought my experience into here. And he brought all this into here so that we could bring something forward in the earth that's an expression that God wants from all of our backdrops, all of our life experiences, all of the things God's done so that we can have a place where people relentlessly love Jesus, relentlessly love the church, and relentlessly love the hurting. He's trying to build something through us. And it's ours. It's not the man up here. It's ours. And every part of the plan for your life culminated to here so that you could accomplish that which he gave you life for. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment.